0: Someone came and reminded me about, does that ever happen to you? Some, your, your parents' friends tell you something that you did when you were a little kid? Does that ever happen to you? Okay. My, my, one of my parents' friends came up and told me um, something about myself as a kid that I completely forgot about. And this is what it was. Um, when I was a little kid, maybe four, five years old, when my mom dropped me off at church, I cried every single week for like two years. <laughs> Never told anybody about that before. Okay. So I'm just going to tell you that. That was weird. Okay. I found out about myself and I realized, wow, what happened to me? I was such a crier back then. Like it all, I emptied it all out as a four-year-old. Like it all went away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I cried cause I guess I just didn't want to go to church. Right. Uh, maybe that's how you feel about going to church. You just want to cry. Um, I hope that's not how you feel. Uh, I hope that you don't cry when you uh, get dropped off at church. But yeah, we get it. I, I've been there. Okay? I was just four years old when it happened. But uh, yeah, I don't know how you feel about getting dropped off at church. I cried for two years. Then after that, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I went to church and now I work at a church. So I don't cry every time I go to church anymore. That's, that's good, right? Uh, that's good. Yeah, my wife says, that'd be good because it'd be really weird if you did. Uh, no, I don't cry every time I go to church. But uh, I, I want you to think back to when maybe when you were a little kid, when you first started going to church or getting dropped off places, how did you feel? How did you feel about that? Did you cry? Were you a crier? I don't know. Okay. I was a crier and I did not really like going to church for a while. I knew it was a good thing. And then later on, obviously I liked it, but it's one of those things for a lot of people going to church that they they feel like they should like, even though sometimes they don't like it. Or they feel like it's a good thing. They know it's a good thing, but they might not like it so much. They would prefer to do other things. The same thing is true with people and the, how they view God. And I want you to ask this question of yourself. Do I view God like that? Like something I know I should like, or I know that I should get to know, and I know that I should know him, and I know I should learn about him, but I don't really like to do it. It's like something I have to do not something I get to do. I'd rather do other things, but it's something I have to do. I want you to ask yourself honestly that question tonight. Is that how you feel about God himself? Okay. The reason I'm asking you that is because in the book of Deuteronomy, what we're about to study, what Moses says to these people is your view of God needs to be flipped upside down. If your view of God is something you just have to get to know, then you're viewing God wrongly. What we're going to study today is one of the most important chapters, I think, in all of the Bible, because what Moses tells us to do and tells these people of Israel to do is if you're going to obey the law, like we talked about, if you're going to obey God's word, one thing that you have to get down very solidly is this, that you not only get to know God, not only have to know God, you get to know God, and God actually says that we're called to love him more than anybody else. So I want us to open up our Bibles to see this. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't know where Deuteronomy is, it's right near the beginning. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Deuteronomy comes right here after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Now we're in Deuteronomy. Okay, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right near the beginning here. Last week, we talked about chapter four, especially, we said chapters one, two, three, were all about this historical background. Chapter four, we talked about how God's law is a gift. I gave you that, that illustration up on the screen last week about um, how we got to hear God's word and understand God's word. Then we're supposed to fear God. Then we're supposed to obey him. And then we're supposed to live, right? All of those things we covered last week. In chapter five, what we get that we kind of are skipping over real fast is Moses gives the law again, okay? What was the law? The law, specifically, he lays out those 10 commandments from Exodus chapter 20. So chapter five is all about God's law for the people. Now what he's gonna do is explain how on earth people can possibly keep God's rules. How are they gonna do it? Well, check it out here in chapter six. Look at verse one. It says, now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, kind of looking back here. that's, That's God's rules right here that the Lord, your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord, your God, you, your son, your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life and that your days may be long here. Remember, that was one of those important words. That's the first word here. Therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, pause right there, okay? That is a summary of everything that he's covered so far. Basically, God gave them these rules. They were supposed to go into this land promised to them, and there was, things were supposed to go well for them, okay? They got to know God. They had the gift of God's law. God's law wasn't just something they had to do. It was a gift that God gave to them, okay? Now, what he's going to do right now is super, super important. And it's something you probably heard before, but I want you to hear it again with fresh ears. Look at verse number four, Deuteronomy 6, 4. He says, hear, O Israel, he's talking to everybody here, hear, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, okay? That might sound like it's a typo, right? The Lord is one. I've never called anybody one before. What does that mean? Okay. A couple things here. What he's saying is there is only one God. There's only one real God and that God is the Lord. Okay. And that might sound like, okay, duh, I already know that. But here's the problem. They came from a land and they were going into a land where they believed in a tons of different gods. And what they thought you had to do when you go into a land is if there's a rain God in that land, you know what you have to do? You have to make friends with that rain God i got to make sacrifice. If I want rain, when I go into that different land, they have their own God. I need to make friends with them. And I need to make friends with the sun God in that different land. So that was what the people around them taught. And Moses just makes it very, very clear. There is only one God. So he starts explaining who God is right here. Now, look at verse 5. This is the next thing. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, after verse 4, you might not be expecting that. You might think, okay, this is going to be some teaching about who God is. And then he goes, bam, you got to love God. There's one God and you need to love him. What does loving him look like? With all of your heart, soul, might. Verse six, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All these laws, all these words, keep them on your heart. Okay, and the heart back then, by the way, before we go any further, the heart was not the emotional center, right? When I say, you broke my heart, okay? Which I probably never said to you. Um, but if I said that to you, you'd say, oh, I made John sad, right? If, I, if you broke my heart. But if I said, my heart is heavy, you'd say, wow, he must be really sad or depressed or something, okay? That's not what heart meant back then, okay? Heart, and to these people, was the decision maker, okay? If I could change your heart, it's like if I said, can I change your heart on something, what I'm really trying to say is, can I change your thinking on that? Can I change your mind on that? So in the Bible, when you see heart, it actually is closer to today, what we would think of as the mind or the decision maker. Okay? That's what the heart was. So you're supposed to love God with all your heart. means with all your decisions that you make, think about them in this way. I want to love God with all my decisions. Okay? That's a little bit different than just wanting to write love notes to God. Right? That's not what he's saying. He goes on. He says, keep those words on your heart. What does that mean? There's a word that we use today for that. It's the word to memorize, okay? To memorize. But even more than memorizing, you're not only supposed to memorize what God says, you're also supposed to care about it deeply, right? You've memorized a lot of things, okay? The quadratic equation. What does that mean to you? Does that mean anything to you? Does it not? No. The Pythagorean theorem, does that mean anything to you? Does that mean anything to you? The, uh, does, sorry, that was like an inside joke. Um, I guess the Pythagorean theorem, the quadratic equation. Um, I don't know. Is there any? Uh, I don't know. H2O. I, another equation, right? That's an equation I guess, right? It's a chemical equation, right? What does that mean? Okay, those are all math things, right? So they don't mean anything to you if you don't know them and furthermore to most of you you don't care about those things. You memorize a lot of things you don't care about, okay? What well, God's saying is here, not only should you memorize my word, care about it deeply. Have it be on your heart all the time. Verse 7, if you memorize it, what are you going to end up doing? He's talking to parents, particularly here. You shall teach them, those, those words, those the statutes, teach them diligently to your children. How do you do that? You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, that's four different things. To basically say, talk to your kids about it all the time. Because this original audience mostly adults here. Talk to your kids about it. Verse 8, you shall also bind them as a sign on your hands. like Making bracelets out of them is what it sounds like. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And now, today, a lot of the Jews have taken this verse and said, oh, what that means is I should make a bracelet that has a Bible verse in it. And I should make something to put between my eyes that has a Bible verse in it. And I should put, this is still today in Israel, they put little um, pieces of the, the law in a little um, box and they'll put it on the doorposts of all their houses. Okay. So was that really the point? I don't think that was really the point. I think the point was keep it on your heart. It's like it should be on your hand, on your forehead, on the doorpost of your house. Like the Bible should be everywhere for you. You need to be thinking about it all the time. Why? Verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you didn't fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, verse 12, take care, be careful. Lest you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, this whole chapter talks about a lot of different things. And I want to talk about four main things. You got four points tonight, four big things that this chapter commands us. As we start to understand God's law here in the Old Testament, there's a lot of important things. And the first one comes from verse four in particular, that we are supposed to know that there is one God. And that doesn't just mean for you that you recognize that there's only one God. That's easy enough. A lot of people recognize there's one God, but really what he's calling them to do is more than that. He's calling them to be loyal only to him. There's a lot of different things they could be loyal to, but he says, be loyal to me above everything else. Okay. I'd love for you to write this down as point number one on your worksheet. Be loyal to God as your only God. Okay. If we're going to understand this law, that's what this is starting with. In verse four, understand that God is the only God and you might recognize that in your head, but like we said before, it might not get down to your heart where you understand that God is the only God, but you kind of act like he's not. You're kind of not loyal to him like he's the only God. What does that look like? Well, look at the next verse, verse 13. This is Deuteronomy 6:13. After he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. He says, it is the Lord, your God. He is the only one who you should fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. Now, for you, that might sound weird because it's not like all your friends have a bunch of idols in their backpack that they pull out at lunchtime and say, hey, we should have a worship service to my, uh, my little uh, you know, little idol thing here, my uh, action figure. We're going we're gonna to bow down during recess. Do you want to pray to this thing during recess? All right, your friends don't do that, right? That's kind of weird. Okay. So I know that there's kind of a disconnect between then and now, a little bit there, but here's, here's the deal. There are plenty of other gods that your friends at school and maybe even some of your friends at church are really serving. There are plenty of other gods. What are those gods? It's anything you put above God, whether it's your popularity or the fact that you want people to think you're funny or pretty or smart or whatever it is, whether it's money or stuff or your sport, put anything above God that becomes your God. Okay. So if anything gets above God and loving and serving God, that now is your God. So what this point is saying, and I think what he's trying to get here is when you go into the land, which that can kind of be metaphorical for us as when you live the Christian life, right? When you go off and live the Christian life, make sure that God is your only God. Make sure you don't put anything above God, okay? Because there is only one God. There are plenty of temptations to be unfaithful, but he says, stay with God. Verse 15, check this out. It says, for the Lord, your God is in your midst and he is a jealous God, jealous Whenever you hear the word jealous, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Usually. Usually you're thinking, oh, that's a bad thing, right? Jealous God. How's God jealous? That's not good. Well, um, I'm jealous some things, okay? I am, right? Uh, if you have a relationship that's exclusive, okay? Remember what we talked about last time? There were two things in the modern day that are similar to this, where you make a covenant and someone becomes your people. We said marriage is one of them. Adoption is another, right? Um, if you came along, guys, and uh, you started flirting with my wife, and you said, hey, you know what you should do? You should, you should leave John. You should leave him, and you should, you should marry me, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, I know it's weird, but we just went zero to 60 right there real fast, right? Um, but what, what if I, like, came up to you talking to my wife saying that's my wife? How do you, th- okay, ladies, how do you think I should feel about that? Should I be like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. I want to see where this goes, right? No, don't do that. You can't do that. That, You're not allowed to do that. That's my wife. It's not your wife. Go find your own wife, right? That's fine. You can do that. Just don't take mine, right? Because she's mine, right? She's my wife. And guess what? Same thing vice versa. I'm hers, right? I can't go after other people, right? Because what would that be? That would be unfaithful to a covenant promise that would break a relationship, okay? Do you see the connection? That's what it was like with God and these people. He said, I'm making a promise to you. We're going to have a covenant relationship where if you're unfaithful to me, it's like you're cheating on me, okay? And now, all throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites, they didn't always listen to this. Sometimes they did go after other gods. One time in particular, God made it very, very clear. Don't do that, okay? I want you to write this passage down under point number one. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. 1 Kings 18, 21. I want you to write that down. This is a story of Elijah with the prophets of Baal, okay, a false god, one of the gods of the land. He was the rain god, actually, the god of thunder and lightning. And, and the people of the land worshiped him, and the Israelites started worshiping too. That's 1 Kings 18, 21. Okay? These people started worshiping this god, and Elijah has to come along and say, what are you doing? Here's what he says. Elijah came near to all the people and said this, how long? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Because guess what they were trying to do? Trying to serve God and their other gods. Okay? God says you can't do that. If you're going to serve me, I have to be your one and only. If you're going to serve me, you have to be loyal to me and me alone. Remember the Ten Commandments? We just talked about that a little bit, 10 commandments. What are commandments one, two, and three all about? I want you to think this through. What's that first commandment all about? You remember what it says? It says, you shall have no other gods before who? For me, right? Before God, no other gods before me, okay? That's what he's saying here, same thing, okay? Commandment number two, what's that? You shall never serve any idols, right? Don't make any idols to serve them and also don't turn me into an idol. So I don't want you making a statue representing me because that's not true. That's an idol. So those are all about worshiping him. What's the third one, right? Not taking God's name in vain. What does that mean? It means using God's name in any way that's inappropriate. Using God's name as basically as a cuss word, right? People still do it today. Or what it means is worshiping God in a way that's not right. Using his name, uh, you know, without respect, okay? That's using God's name in vain. So first three commandments, what are they all about? the people worshiping God alone. That's what they're all about. Now, that's what this is all about. So you might say, well, this is a long time ago. God still commands us this today. He still commands this. okay? I want you to write down this passage too. Jesus said this in Matthew Matthew 6, sorry, Matthew 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24. Here's what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters, okay? If you try to serve two masters, you try to have two things that you're going after at the same time, guess what? You'll either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Nothing can be at the top of your desires except for one thing. And one thing typically always is. And in this text, Jesus says, because he's talking about money, he says you can't serve God and money at the same time, okay? And now, you can replace money with whatever false god you might have in your life. Sports. You cannot serve God in sports. You can play sports. You can be in sports. Sports. But if it's God versus sports, you got to say God wins. If it's God or your popularity, what has to win? God or your popularity? God has to win that. If it's God or you being funny, guess what? God has to win that because you can't serve two masters. But the problem is for most people who hear the law or maybe grow up in church, guess what happens? They flip the two and God takes a back seat, and these other things become the most important. So for whatever that thing is for you, for some of these people, it was money. For others, it's popularity. For others, it's their sports or video games or whatever it is that you might be tempted to put above and before God. He says, take those things off the throne, okay? Because God belongs there. God said himself in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 45, verse 5, he says, I am the Lord and there is no other, okay? There's no other God. Besides me, there is no God. And he says to them, I give you everything you need. I equip you, though you don't know me that all the people, I want everyone to know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is no other God besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other, okay? Now, you might say, well, I know he's the only God, but can't we serve him and other people? Well, here's what he says in Isaiah 42 verse eight. He says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved idols. I will not share praise or glory with anybody, okay? God says, I won't share it. If you try to give it to God and someone else, he says, no, you gotta give it to me only, okay? You might be thinking, wow, this is really intense. It is really intense, and it's interesting because what does God call us to do in the next verse? Back in our passage, in verse five, he says, you shall love this God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, right? And that is really the, the beginning of obeying God at all is committing to love him, okay? And I want you to think about what love is. Love, if I say, what is love? You think of a lot of different things. You think of hearts, you think of songs. There you go, someone starts singing. Uh, you think of a lot of things. You might think of Valentine's Day. You might think of your crush. Don't look at your crush right now. Don't look at your crush. I saw, <laughs> Anybody you looked at, that was really weird. Um, all the guys looked at their friends like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, see, now they're not happy. I just outed them. Did you hear them all mumbling back there? Anyway, um, I don't know what you think of when you think about love, right? But here's basically in the book of Deuteronomy what love is. Love basically equals a commitment. Love is a commitment to do good. Now, it says that God loves the people. He makes a commitment to do good to them, but also he calls the people, I want you to commit to love me too. So that's point number two. I'd love for you to write that down. Commit to love God. With your life. Now, the reason I say your life is because I think that's a big overarching term that we can use to say with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Okay? There's a lot of people that say they love God, but what they really mean by that is they have warm, fuzzy feelings for God, sometimes when it's convenient, but not really when it gets hard. They love God when God does good things for them, but not when he doesn't. Or they only reach out to God when they really need him but not all the other times, okay? People mean a lot of different things, but what God asks for is a commitment of love. There's tons of verses in Deuteronomy that talk about it, not just this one. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, says we're supposed to fear, love, and serve. So those words are always put together, fearing God, loving God, serving God. It means committing to follow him. Deuteronomy 11:22. Deuteronomy 11:22 says, we're supposed to love him and walk in his ways. See how love and obedience are connected. Love and obedience connected. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20, near the end of the book. Here's what it says. You're supposed to love the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him alone. For he is your life and your length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers. So love is not always what we think. Most of the time, what we think love is is a spontaneous choice to like feel, right? A spontaneous choice usually. It's my birthday coming up pretty soon. I don't know if you know that. You don't say happy birthday. It's not yet. I'll tell you when it is. I'll tell you when it's over. Um, uh, (laughs) But my wife, uh, she's tried to surprise me a lot. Ever since the days of our dating, she's tried to surprise me um, by getting me stuff without asking, you know, like that's what you would expect to surprise to be, right? Yeah. Or say, hey, we should go do this thing. And I bought tickets for this. Or, uh, hey, I bought you this. And she does that a lot. She loves surprises. But I don't really love surprises that much. Okay. <laughs> and it's not that I don't love surprises. It's just sometimes like in the past, like she's gotten me a lot of things I don't like. And like, look, it's fine. That's not the point. The point is this. She uh, she tried to buy something for me recently. Uh, she bought it on my Amazon, and it sent me a notification, and it said your your orders, you know, you track your order. I'm like, what, what did I order? Click. It's a super nice golf thing that she got for me. So I know what she already got for me. We've talked... I told you this, right? Okay, good. Um, (laughs) I got a notification today. It was a picture from the Amazon delivery. Your package is delivered and it had it. So I I checked. You hit it. Great. That's great. So we can play a game and pretend like I don't know what my birthday present is. Um, It's awesome. Um, Okay. Yeah, it wasn't very spontaneous, but she chose to do something for me that I really like. She's been asking me, what can I get you? What can I get you? Because I don't want (laughs) to buy something for you that you don't want. Uh, She does just want to avoid that altogether, right? Well, I really appreciate that because she's loving me, right? Even though it's not like a surprise. So when I open this package with this golf thing, that was really nice that I already know about, sorry. Um, You know what I'm going to take it as? Love, okay? (laughs) Okay. was love. Even though it wasn't a surprise, it wasn't maybe spontaneous, and even though the surprise is already ruined, um, it's, I'm going to take it as love, because that, that's what it is, because it was expensive. Uh, no, but yeah, it was expensive, but it, I take it as love, even though it wasn't spontaneous, okay, even though it wasn't a surprise. I think part of our problem is when we think of loving God, we think it has to be some type of surprise thing. we got to like get him a surprise gift or something, or, or, or it can't be planned out. But here's the thing. God calls part of our love for him to be planned out, thought out love that we give in advance. Spontaneous, sometimes selfless commitment all the time. Here's what that looks like. Here's what the New Testament says about love and about you loving God. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It says, By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Love, obedience together. Again, verse number three. For this is the love of God. So you want to know what God's love for God is? You have it right here. He's about to tell you. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So what does God want from you? Okay. God doesn't have a birthday, so I can't say for his birthday. Um, but what does God want from you? What would he like you to give to him? Okay. What does he want? He wants obedience. So what God takes as love is your commitment and obedience. That's what he wants, okay? He doesn't want a package from Amazon. He already has. He owns everything, right? He doesn't want that. But what he wants from you is he wants you to love and obey him. That's what he wants. He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. It's not a really hard thing to do to obey God if we love God. Loving God and obedience need to be together, which is why for some people, all they do is they try to, okay, I'll try to please God this day. I'll try to please God tomorrow. I'll try to please God the next day. But if you don't have a relationship with God where you love him, right, then that's, that's not working, okay? Jesus said this himself in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, super clear. Verse 21 of that passage, John 14, 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is that loves me. You want to know who loves Jesus? It's the one who has his commandments and actually does them. Doesn't just believe things about Jesus. Doesn't just know things that Jesus says. But the one who has the commandments and then does them, says that's the person who loves me. He says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will show myself in a special way. I'll have a special relationship with that person. That's crazy that obedient people Have a relationship with God that's good. That's exactly how it's always worked, whether it's in Deuteronomy or John. You might be thinking, didn't Jesus talk about this passage? Yes, he did talk about this passage, okay? Matthew chapter 22. i like us all to turn there. Let's just turn there. Matthew chapter 22. Go to the New Testament real quick. Matthew 22. Someone asked Jesus an important question. They said, hey, what's the most important law? If we look at all the laws and all the things in the Old Testament, what's like the most important one? Jesus didn't say... They're all important, so just do all of them. No, he says there is one that does stand above the rest. And I want us to see this. Matthew chapter 22, on the right side of your Bibles. Matthew 22, verse 36. That's what we're going to look at right now. That's the start. Matthew 22, 36. One of those lawyers, one of the people who studied the law, they came up and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which one's like the most important? And Jesus said to him, here's what I think. It's this one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That's the biggest, the highest, right? The be loyal to God one. And the second is like it, similar to a different audience, but definitely similar. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to see verse 40 because I think verse 40 is so key to understanding all the rest of what we're going to study in the Old Testament. It says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. What does that mean? That means basically if you trace all the laws, you basically find that there's a pattern. All the laws that you find, if you obey those laws, you're going to do one of two things or two of two things. You're going to show that you love God and that you love other people. That's what the law was designed to do. It was designed to help you see that you're supposed to love God and love other people. That's what it's designed for, and that's what you're supposed to do, and that's what Jesus says here. All of the Old Testament depends on that right there. So the question for you is, for these two points, am I loyal to God, first of all, and have I made a commitment to love God, or do I just sometimes love God, or do I make a commitment to love God? Back in the passage, he says, here's how we're going to keep this up. How are we going to keep this up? How are we going to keep loving God? How are we going to know God? Well, you got to stay in his word. Verse 6 says you're supposed to have his words on your heart and it goes on like we studied earlier which says if it's on your heart guess what you're not going to do you're not going to forget it but the problem is so many people forget God's word when they're tempted have you noticed that when you're tempted tempted to disobey your parents you're tempted to say bad things at school you're tempted to do things you shouldn't in those moments about what you probably have forgotten about is God's rules because usually when you remember God's rules, you think, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to talk back to my mom. Because I remember honor your father and mother. I remember children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. right? When you're at school and you want to say bad things and you're about to engage in some bad conversation, but you remember what the Bible says and it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. No unwholesome word. Let no corrupting talk. But only what builds up. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to engage in that bad joking says, let no crude joking or filthy talk come out of your mouths. Okay, I'm not going to do it. That's all God's law that needs to like live inside of you. It needs to be so inside of you that it's just ingrained there, that you even can't get it out. That's the picture here. Have it on your heart at all times. Point number three is this. Get God's word ingrained in you. Get God's word ingrained in you. Today after uh, staff lunch, I texted Juan you might say, why did you text Juan? I text Juan every Wednesday after staff lunch for some weird reason. I don't understand why, but I think it's probably because we started playing ping pong after lunchtime on Wednesday at church. And I asked him, hey, you want to play ping pong? Juan was super nice to me and didn't respond for like three hours. Um, (laughs) He's here, by the way. Hi. Um, He didn't respond. But it's okay. He was working really hard. He was doing, like, important church stuff, right? Um, But I I texted him, and I realized, why did I just, why do I always text him on Wednesdays? I go back through our text. It's literally every Wednesday. Hey, you want to play ping pong? Hey, you want to play ping pong? Hey, you want to play ping pong? Hey, you want to play? It's been, like, six weeks in a row that I've texted one, And I realized I texted him. I didn't even, like, think about it. I just did it. And I didn't even realize it because I made it a pattern. And then I just thought, oh, it's ping pong time. When he's like, I'm busy. I like came downstairs, like walked by his office. I'm like, hey, what you doing? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm working on something. Oh, okay, cool, all right, all right cool. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll leave. Yeah, I'll. And I went back upstairs, right? I didn't, we didn't ever play ping pong. Um, but the point is I made it a pattern and I didn't even realize it. It was just ingrained in me on accident, right? There's plenty of things that are like that for you, okay? Maybe if your phone is your alarm clock, Okay. Okay. Yes there. Um, Maybe for you, you pick up your phone and then you look at the same app every time first. That's a habit, right? That's been ingrained in you, right? There's a lot of things that can be a habit. Maybe downstairs, you go downstairs and you like, does anybody like waffles here? Anybody like waffles? Those Eggo waffles you just kind of throw in the, they're frozen. You just throw them in the toaster. That's what I'm talking about. Um, And maybe it's like, I just do that every day. I'll just Throw that in, right? Some of you leaders, you make coffee every morning. You have patterns. You just do it and you, you don't even think about it because you just made it such a pattern. Darcy says, that's right. Um, whatever it is, you guys got a lot of different patterns, a lot of different things that you do. What I want you to think of is this text says, I want God's word to be like in your heart all the time. I want it to be ingrained in you. How does it get there though? How does it get there? It gets there by starting to make those habits. And what I want you to do is basically get to the stage to where when you're tempted, to when you're thinking about things, that the scriptures become your reflex to things. That the scriptures become like your language, like second nature. And I know you think for some of you like, wow, that's really hard. That's going to take a lot of work. It does take a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, but it's worth it. If the scriptures become like second, second nature to you, you're always thinking about scripture. Because that's what he basically says here. Have it on your heart. Talk about it all the time. Talk about it with the people in your life, which is another great point. Are there people in your life that you talk to about god's word? not just when the scheduled time is, but just like whenever that would be awesome if you had people in your life that you started talking to about God's word. Some of you, especially you eighth graders right we got those um, those group chats for you guys that you guys text on for for DBR right some of you uh, <laughs> some leaders are laughing right uh, yeah but those are basically designed to say, "I want you guys to just spend time talking about God's word, right? even if it's a little thing every once in a while." That's the idea. That's Deuteronomy six and action. Right? I want you to find people to talk to to talk to about God's word. That's super important. Psalm one nineteen. We've quoted this passage a lot recently. Psalm one nineteen verse 9, verse eleven. Psalm one nineteen eleven says I've stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. That's key. We get God's word in our heart so we don't sin against God. We don't want to do God wrong. It's interesting Jesus also said in Luke chapter 6, he says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. Okay, that's poetic language, but what it means is you see that someone's heart is good if their actions and words are good. In the same way, the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil out of his heart. And here's the bottom line. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Okay? Your mouth speaks something. Your words mean something. And what they do is they point back to what's inside of your heart. So here's kind of the question. It's hard to see on the inside, right? I can't see your hearts. Okay? But the people in your life can hear your words. And the question is for you as you think through this right now, Are my words shaped by and full of God's word or are they without that? Because if they're without that, chances are out of the overflow of your heart, if God's word is not in your heart, what's going to come out is probably going to be evil because that's what he says here. But if what's in your heart is good and righteous, I bet what's going to come out is going to be starting to be more righteous and more good. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same idea. Let it just be in there. It's like it's stuck in there and it's bouncing around in your mind. You're thinking about it. The Old Testament has a word for that, to meditate on it. Meditation does not mean going um, and and blanking out your mind. In the Bible, meditation means thinking about something right? If it's something that ever happened to you, like usually people meditate on bad things. So like when somebody says something mean to you and you just keep replaying it over and over and over and over again in your mind, right? That's meditating, right? That's bad meditating. Uh, but what he says is, no, meditate on God's word. That's what it means to have it stored up in your heart. Now you might say, okay, those are important things. I've heard those before, right? That's what we said. These are simple, important things. Get God's word ingrained in you. But what happens when you do this? And that's really what I want to get to last. That's what point number four is about, okay? What happens when you do this? When you do serve God only, you're loyal to him. When you do love God more than anybody else. And also on top of that, when God's word is in you, what happens? So what happens is people start noticing that. They notice something different about you than other people. That's exactly what verse 20 says. Look back in our passage, Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. I want everybody check this out back in their Bibles. Deuteronomy 6, 20, super important passage here. Basically what Moses says is when your sons ask you. So like one day your kids are going to ask you in times to come, what is the meaning of the testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Basically, why are you doing God's rules? Like what are these all about? Why do we have to obey God? Why do we have to serve God? What are these rules all about? Right In this context, it's someone's kids asking them. But for you, it's obviously not your kids asking you. Sorry. Um, it's, it could be anybody. It could be your friends. It could be your, your neighbors. It could be anybody asking you, so why do you care about that kind of stuff? Why do you care about God's word? Why do you care about the Bible? Why do you want to like obey God? Because it seems like because of that, that's impeding on your life, and you don't get to do all the fun things. Why do you do that? Here's the answer. Here's what Moses says. He says, You shall say to your sons on that day, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous. Good for us, bad for them. Against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes and to fear the Lord, our God for good, for our good always that we may persevere. He may preserve us rather alive. We'll be kept alive as it is this day. And it will be our righteousness for us. If we're careful to do all that he commands. It's interesting that when people ask these people, why do you obey God's rule? How would you respond to that? If someone asked you, why do you do what God says? What you might say is because God told me to, right? That's fair. But that's not what he says. When you are asked, why do you obey God? He responds with a story. I think that's interesting. He responds with a story. What's the story? That we were slaves in Egypt, that God came and he saved us and he brought us out. And now he's given us the law that we can live. So instead of with just responding with, well, because we have to, because we're supposed to, because we were told to. The answer, why do we obey God? It's because God did something. Okay? Point number four is this. Teach others, which is the key word in this passage and in verse 7. Teach others God's salvation story. Teach others. Talk to other people about God's salvation story. Because they're going to start asking you when you're obeying the rules and the laws. They're going to say, what is this all about? Your response is not, yep, I got a, a great you know, moral code. I got a great set of morals. I got a great set of rules. That's not what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is say, yes, I, I am obeying these rules, but here's why. Because God did something amazing. Can I tell you what God did? Right? And and for these Israelites, God did something amazing. He went in and he got them out of slavery. You guys remember the ten plagues? The hail and the blood and the rain and the darkness. Remember all that stuff? And the killing of the firstborn son. Right? That's what it means by great and grievous signs. I mean, these are big deal things that God was doing. And he did it to save them. Has God done anything? that's worth telling people about to save us. What do you think? Well, he hasn't come down and saved you out of some slavery to Egypt. What he saved us out of, right? God came to save us out of slavery to sin. That's bigger. That's more important, right? He didn't even do that in the first time in the Exodus. That would have been great. All he did was save them out of this temporal slavery. That's a big deal. But even more than that, God saved us. When I say us, I'm referencing the people who've responded rightly to the gospel, right? Talking about Christians. God has saved those Christians, forgiven completely. So when people ask you, why do you obey those rules? Well, we were slaves too. We were slaves, not in Egypt, but slaves in sin. Romans chapter six, love for you to write that passage down. Romans six, verses 16 to 18, here's what it says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. This is verse 17, Romans 6, 16 to 18. This is verse 17. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart. Do you see how all these Old Testament ideas are reflected here in the New Testament? Slavery, obedience, heart, love, they're all connected because this is one story. The Bible is one story, one book. It says, you're slaves to sin, but you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you've been committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Remember, you, if you were a Christian, you were a slave too. Maybe not of Pharaoh, but definitely of sin. Ephesians 2, verses 12 to 13. Here's what it says in there. It says, remember... Same idea as, remember you were slaves, remember that you were separated from Christ at one point. You were separated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. Basically saying Gentile people, you weren't even included in God's promises. Most of you are Gentiles. That means just not a Jewish person. That includes me. That includes you. It says, remember there was a time where you were cut off from Christ. You didn't have any access to any of the promises of God because you weren't in any of them. Having no hope. And without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's even more important and more impressive than what God did in the Exodus. Remember you were slaves. Also remember that God saved you with a mighty hand. From Pharaoh then and now from death. Saves us from that. It says God gave us the law for our good. Romans 6, 21 Later on in that passage, we just look at Romans 6, 16 to 18, two verses later in verse 21, it says, but what was the fruit, what were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Basically, you used to live in sin. What were you getting from that sin? What were you getting from chasing the popularity? What were you getting from all that? It says, really, the end of all those things is just death. That's all that you're really getting from that. But now that you've been set free from sin, And have become slaves of God, the fruit to which you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. It's like when God sets people free out of slavery to sin, what that means is he gives them all the blessings that Jesus earned for them, gives them that free of charge. Didn't deserve it. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when people ask you, why are you obeying God? Why are you doing that? The answer is this. Because God saves. That's the answer. Remember last week we had that point. Remember that we obey because God saves. That's going to be a big theme throughout the law as we study the book of Deuteronomy. It says you were ashamed of those things back then. You should be ashamed of those things in your old life. You shouldn't be ashamed of Christ now. It's interesting. What, what if I told you um, I was ashamed of my family? That would be weird. What if I said I was ashamed of my wife? What would you feel about me? You'd be like, that's mean. Ashamed. Yeah, that would be bad, wouldn't it? You would think probably less of me. If I was ashamed of a person, remember, that I have a covenant relationship with, a promised relationship with, where we're supposed to be loyal to each other, same idea that God is saying to these people, don't be ashamed of one another. Don't be ashamed of that, which is why when you're obeying God's rule, one of the temptations is going to be for you. You don't want to tell people about God. Like, oh, it's nothing. It's just how my family is. But when people see you obeying God and they ask you about it, instead of being ashamed of God or, or freaked out to tell them about God, be over the top and say, yeah, totally. I am doing that. And it's because God did something for me. Because God sent his son to live in my place and to die in my place. God did that. That's why I obey. I obey because God saves Don't be ashamed. The heart of all of the law is this right here. If we're going to obey God, it has to start from this, that we recognize there's one God, we serve him, we're loyal to him, and then we love him, okay? All the rest is going to follow that. So everything else we're going to study for the rest of the year is going to follow that right there. It means to love God first and to serve him, and what service and love mean are really interchangeable as we study the book of deuteronomy so we're going to break up into small groups again but i want to pray first before we go to small groups and go through these questions i want to pray that god helps us understand these things helps us do them let's pray